welcome to the show. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, my guest this week first had on last year. James Esses is the co-founder of Thoughtful Therapists. He's now, well, getting to be a fully-fledged commentator and writer. Um, thank you very much for joining us uh, again, James. No problem. Uh, when we spoke last, you had just been, well, sort of expelled from mm. doing your master's degree. And that was because of your views about the medicalization of children, you know, via gender theory, wasn't it? That's right. Gender ideology. Um, since then, you've been doing lots of broadcasting. Um, and I wondered, um, we could start by something which you were very involved in last week, because we mm. talked about it a lot here. And that was this Costa Coffee case. I mean, it comes under the umbrella of increasing what people call woke capitalism, I suppose. Mm. But how did that actually first arise for you, this, this particular case? I was simply sent a photograph of that. And it turns out that this mural, as they're calling it, you know, and this, this cartoon image of this well, woman with double mastectomy scars, this was from some pride event in Brighton. Yeah. I think last year, actually. Mm -hmm. It's only just cropped up now. Really? Someone sent a photograph to me out of the blue and I thought this was worth publicising. And, yes. you know, it, it took off pretty rapidly. I mean, all of the mainstream media were talking about it for a couple of days. I mean, Costa Coffee themselves have gone completely shtum. I mean, you know, they yes. don't seem to have properly commented on this yet. But it just shows the strength of feeling that exists out there. Yeah. I mean, just being confronted with that type of imagery and knowing that your son or daughter might walk past that. Yes. Um, and what that might do in terms of their thinking. It's, it's really quite troubling. It's, uh, it, 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 it's incredibly important, is it? That was done by Twitter, presumably social media, yeah. how, you, how one can bring these things to a wider attention. I think we, we actually got a picture of it coming up here uh, on the screen. It, is, um, it was just a kind of cartoon, like a jolly cartoon character, wasn't it really? Um, but with these scars and, you know, here. And blue hair. And blue hair, yes. Dead giveaway, yes, yes. <laughs> but, but shameless, shameless promotion of their brand. You know, this, because um, in the cartoon images, you can see that they're kind of necking back a nice cost of coffee, you know? Yes. Um, so they're trying to capitalise on virtue signalling. But I would also say on this particular issue, they're trying to capitalise on people's kind of mental pain and suffering, yes. you know, because of gender dysphoria. Uh, which is leading to these double mastectomies being performed as a mental health condition. So mm -hmm. Costa deeming it appropriate to try and profit from that, I think is really quite worrying. Yes. Yeah, there was another case recently, uh, Monzo, mm. the bank Monzo. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, this kind of emerged off the back of the Nigel Farage and Coots affair. But in essence, a number of staff there have kind of leaked screenshots of internal communication channels within the bank. Uh, there's an online bank, it's quite a big bank actually, uh, in the UK. And in it, members of staff are there gossiping about prospective customers, insulting their views, um, using terms like TERF, which is a yeah. kind of derogatory term meant to mean trans. Trans exclusionary radical feminists. Correct. Um, so one kind of prospective customer who spoke to them on LinkedIn, that he was described as a horrible TERF. Mm. Um, the LGB Alliance, the charity representing LGB people, was described as a hate group. Mm. And some of this speech was taking place by very senior HR directors. Mm. And I chose not to name any of these individuals because I didn't want to cause a pylon. Mm. 
Um, but it demonstrates something about the culture that's going on in these yeah. organizations. And, you know, what must other members of staff have felt, those who believe, for example, in biological reality, mm. if they see that their views and opinions are just being insulted on their mm. internal communication channels, including by senior leaders in the organization, that's going to prevent them from feeling at all like they can speak out um, mm. on their own behalf. And again, you know, what does it say about the kind of potential customers of Monzo mm. when they view swathes of society with such disregard? Mm. Can you tell us as well, this is a while ago, there was a case involving Wix, wasn't mm. there, the store Wix. Uh, what was that about? Yeah, so I, I tend to get past this information by kind of, you know, people on the inside, again, showing that people don't this feel like... This does come from people in the companies, does it? Yes, quite yeah. often. Yeah. Um, the, the Wix affair was, uh, there was a, a training being run by Pink News, mm. uh, that uh, quasi-journalistic outfit. Mm. Uh, and yeah, it was a kind of a, a, an inclusivity training about LGBT. It was being run for a number of employers, it was being sponsored by Ernest Young. Mm. Um, and the, the chief operating officer of Wix was speaking on a panel there with a number of trans individuals. And, and Wix had been pushing this trans narrative for a while. They had had a float at Trans Pride. Um, and he was describing how he came in for some criticism from a lot of customers who said basically that, you know, they didn't want to shop in a store that didn't kind of acknowledge biological reality, mm. that felt that men could become women and vice versa. And the, the COO, his name's Fraser Longdon. He basically said, um, you know, people who don't agree with Wick's position on this uh, are bigots. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, they're not welcome in our stores anymore. That's surely, I remember that now. And I remember thinking it was a bit like a Gerard Ratner moment, wasn't it? Yes, that's how people described it. Um, I mean, it's just crazy, actually. And, and given particularly that on this topic, we know that the majority of the population do not believe that men yeah. can become women and vice versa. To have that level of kind of disdain towards prospective customers. And so there was a boycott called, I mean, their, their share price fell instantly. Mm. And people are still boycotting Wix, as far as I'm aware. Similarly, people are boycotting Costa Coffee now. Yes, what is the state of play with Costa now then? I mean, is there a petition or is it just pure boycott? I mean, I've always uh, argued that people should boycott they, if they only they realise they have the power to do it. I mean, people don't, oh, what difference is just, you know, one person going to make? Well, actually, we've seen in, the, in America that it can make an enormous difference, can't it? Well, completely, because all these companies care about is the bottom line. Yeah. And so that is the only way it seems to kind of get through to them. Um, but particularly, you know, this isn't just I'm not going to shop somewhere because I don't agree with the owners of that company's views. Some of these owners, as I said, this COO of Bloody Wix is saying to most of the population, you're not even welcome in our stores anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, who, who deserves to be treated like that by a service or a product provider, you know, that yeah. you're paying good money to, yeah. um, to be treated like that. So people have to vote with their feet in this regard. But I mean, Costa Coffee themselves have kind of gone under the radar now. They put out some lily-livered statement basically saying that they support it, that it was about promoting inclusivity. They, they said something particularly interesting, which was that, um, you know, they want to support people to feel comfortable in their own skin. But here they're highlighting people who've had irreversible surgery to fundamentally yeah. change who they are. Yeah. Those yeah. two things don't add up. Exactly. Um, do you think, I mean, when you hear something like the head of Wix, for example, which to me seems a more grievous one, actually, than, than Costa, because he's more or less saying, you know, you're total bigots, as you say, if you don't go along with this. Um, you know, do you think that they actually really believe 
gender theory or ideology, or do you think it's purely cynical? You know, it's, I find it so confusing. I try and get a read on people when they're saying these mm. things, and it's yeah, very difficult. I, I think for some, they are simply chasing the dollar signs, you know, yeah. because this is the trendy thing to be woke, as it were, to mm. be inclusive, you know, to have that kind of tick box, to have Stonewall's accreditation or whatever, mm. you know. Mm. Um, Even now? even after all that we know. Uh, There are many organizations out there proudly flying Stonewall's flag and celebrating Mm. that they're in their top, whatever it is, 100, you know, gold list employers. Um, Yeah, even after all of the smearing uh, that Stonewall's come in for, you know, because anyone worth us all doesn't trust Mm. the advice that Stonewall are giving out, but a lot of companies still view that with pride. I think some of these individuals are genuinely bought into this because mm. we've had it kind of rammed down our throats for a number mm. of years. It's only re- relatively recently that people are starting to push back against yeah. this. But yeah. it's, you know, it's everywhere. Yeah. Um, and the message is, if you don't go along with it, you're a bad person. I think some people just, you know, they just want an easy life, really. They don't want to kind of upset the apple cart. Mm. They know that there's a, a small but very loud, you know, vocal minority who are going to try and shut you down um, you know, if you dare to say anything along the lines of yeah. biological reality. So they just, they just keep stum. Yes. Um, there was a poll recently, last week in fact done, uh, which showed, but it was done in Britain, it showed that about a third of people weren't even aware of what the actual ter- this terminology is used. So uh, being a trans woman, uh, basically, they did not know this meant that these people were biological men. There's a third of people. I don't know if you saw that, I did, did you? Yeah. I mean, are you, were you surprised by that? Not really, because, again, the kind of the, the narrative, particularly in mm. education these days, even from some of our political leaders, is that men can become women. Mm. You know, you've got Keir Starmer saying one in a thousand women have a penis. I mean... Mm. This is going to kind of filter down. Yes, it's 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 become confused. It's I mean, you know, sex uh, is a pretty straightforward concept in that it's binary and immutable. But now the waters have been completely muddied, and nobody knows what's going on. And I see this myself. I mean, I posted something recently about NHS guidance um, describing to trans men and trans women, you know, when they should or shouldn't come for certain types of screening because mm-hmm. what we're hearing is that there are biological males showing up for cervical screening because they they're trans women and so they have convinced themselves what that they have a cervix yeah um and equally there are biological females who have become trans men who are getting missed for cervical screenings because they put down their sex as male and so they're not even getting the notification that the screening's required so this is actually like impacting our health service as well yes but it is that is you know to to actually present you know i say you know i need a, a you know a cervix uh, examination when you are a biological male that is pure mental illness surely it's either mental illness or it's that we're not actually doing our duty in terms of educating people and that children uh, and even those in university are being taught ideology rather than the facts mm-hmm. i mean i can i could easily foresee a scenario in which children are kind of leaving school not knowing fundamental parts of their body because they're being taught you can be and identify mm-hmm. as anything you want mm-hmm. This is actually, it's this part of it, isn't it? The effect it has on children, which is one of your main concerns, isn't it? I mean, 
What brought that about in the first place, actually, James? You know, when did you when did you become passionate about this issue? Uh, when I was counselling a child line, and I was noticing much of my conversations with these young people was moving away from bullying, um, you know, issues at home, mm. um, you know, other very serious issues, but moving more and more towards. Uh, I think I'm trapped in the wrong body. Mm. Um, you know, these are my pronouns. Mm. Uh, you know, I want to wear a breast binder. I want to take puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones. And so yeah. I, I saw a real increase in the numbers of children presenting in this way. And that's what drew this to my attention in the first place. Because um, if you're not in these bubbles, you don't tend to know. I mean, I, I don't have children. Um, so I, I wasn't aware of what's being taught in schools. I mean, now I really am aware because mm. I've had teachers and parents share these materials with me. But if you're kind of if you're outside of the loop, I think you could be convinced that all is well yeah. um, and that there's nothing sinister going on here. Um, yeah, but I, I remember we did a program, um, a heresies documentary with Calvin Robinson, and we were talking about the kind of often third party materials that schools use and everything, and parents just can't get hold of them, um, or rather mm. they put spurious reasons up as to why parents can't see them. I mean, how how would we most effectively tackle this issue in schools with gender theory, mm. ideology, being taught to children? I mean, you know, I think I might have said to you last time that, you know, uh, for example, my own niece, you know, she's got kids at school and they come home. They came home, one came home recently and said, oh, we, we had trans role play. Now, whatever that is, I do not know. But I mean, the fact is, she sort of almost found out by accident. I mean, you know, she now asks the kids exactly what they're taught. But how do parents sort of fight back? What advice could you give them to fight back? Well, they need to be given a bit of a step up, and I'm hoping that's going to come in the form of the government's guidance, which we're still waiting for on what's being taught in what's schools. What's the position with that exactly, government guidance? It's been delayed. I mean, we're, we're, we're still, we, there's been some supposed leaks of what it might contain, but generally we don't know what the content of it's going to be. I mean, the government said they were going to you know, fall short of wanting to legislate in this space. They felt the guidance was enough, but I, I'm not convinced the guidance is enough, actually. You know, um, schools should be uh, legally prohibited from teaching things that are not based in reality and fact. Well, this is the point, isn't it? Because, I, I mean, what is the strength of, you know, what is the effectiveness of guidance anyway? In schools, what is the standing of it? Well, pr precisely this, and you know, a school's not going to be shut down over yeah, it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's better than nothing, and it'll be something that I hope parents will be able to add to their armory. But it's 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 not really enough. Um, and I don't know how much of it is going to talk about content as well. I mean, so much of it seems to be focused on another important issue, which is about schools basically allowing pupils to transition behind their parents' backs yeah. and, you know, use of same-sex facilities and all the rest of it. So the, the problem is there's just so much here that's going on. But, you know, I hear from parents all the time who don't know what to do. And I, one parent recently I spoke to, they reached out to the school. They said, I'm not happy with what's being taught. I want you to provide me with the materials. Yeah. Even said, you know, I don't really want my, my daughter being taught this stuff. I kind of want to pull her out of this class altogether. And she was basically told by the principal, well, if you don't like it, you can lump it and take your daughter elsewhere. Yeah, 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 exactly. No, I could see. Um, we had a case recently, didn't we? It wasn't, ex it was sort of born out of gender ideology with the girls who 
recorded their teacher, I mean, which I, I have to applaud them. I mean, you know, well done for them. It was about the kid who was identifying as a cat or something, but yeah. it, it could have been anything else. It was mm. obviously came out of this ideolo ideology. And, um, but you know, one wonders when listening to that teacher, I mean, she sounded like an absolute political activist to me. Oh, completely. And, and the teacher themselves would probably put themselves as activist first, teacher yes. second. And yeah. actually, these things they would view are intertwined, that they're yeah. here to teach the next generation how to be, you know, good, uh, mm. upstanding citizens. But the problem is, this is very subjective. And so they think that they're doing, you know, in some ways, it's almost with a religious fervor. They're kind of doing God's work yes. um, in terms of educating their students about these things. Um, but yes, the way that teacher spoke to those kids in the recording, you know, hurling uh, insults at them, basically shouting them down. Yes. I mean, the entire purpose of education is to encourage things like critical thinking, yes. open conversation and debate. And that's just being shut down here by, as you say, activist teachers. It's, it's true. You, you're, you are developing, are you not... Uh, basically a set of, you know, suggestions of what should happen, aren't you? I mean, you're mm. working on that at the moment, aren't you? I am, because I think something's got to give. I mean, I, I posted on Twitter recently, I thought I'd do something interesting. I'd go through all the political parties that have representation in yeah. Westminster, and I would see what their leaders have said on the topic of gender ideology. And basically, almost every party, bar the Conservatives, is led by someone who's pushing this ideology, mm. who believe that women can have a penis, who believe that, you know... Davey said it, didn't he, definitely? So there certainly uh, are, clearly are women with penises. Yes, he, he yeah, Davey's pushing it, Starmer's flip-flopping, but it's clear that he does believe it, and, I, you know, I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't trust him uh, on anything he says necessarily. The Greens are captured, a number of the parties in Northern Ireland are, and particularly we've seen in the devolved governments, I mean, the SNP have been pushing this hard, as we know, I mean, that caused Sturgeon's downfall. Similarly in Wales, you know, they're pushing it, so... Um, I feel there needs to be some sort of wake-up call to these politicians mm. because there's this, you know, huge strength of feeling in the country and, and, and these politicians need to know mm. that if they don't start standing up for child welfare, women's rights, free speech in this regard, that it's going to cost them votes mm. in the next yeah. election. So I'm trying to pull together a kind of declaration yeah. that we can get some signatures on and just send a message to Westminster politicians that they have to listen to what's going on in the country. Well, now is the time to do something like that with an election coming up. You know, I mean, mm. uh, definitely it, it, it is. I know this is a really big sort of question in a way, but why is this happening, do you think? Why is it happening? Why, basically, if we'd been sitting here five years ago, well, we were sitting here five years ago. I was, anyway. Um, trans, oof, it was sort of slightly there, but just sort of very much on the periphery, not really an issue. Here we are now. It's one of like the number one issues. And uh, why? What, what is behind it, do you think? Well, I Why mean, is it's... it being pushed mm. by companies, by public institutions, by schools. Well, it's, it's interesting to look at how this kind of came about. I mean, I did some research into this recently. Um, you know, up until 2014, 2015, Stonewall, which is, you know, a, a household name, and had done so much work in terms of supporting the gay community, that they considered themselves to be an LGB charity mm. that was it there, there was no t and you'd be kind mm. of hard pressed back in 2014 to hear the term lgbt even used yeah, yeah. and now 
it rolls off the tongue as easy as anything else. I mean, it's, it's such a commonly used acronym now. Mm. Um, but they took a decision, I believe, from having researched into it because they felt that, and others felt that their job was basically done. They when it came to gay rights and yes. everything, yes. Yeah. So they were kind of ceasing to serve a purpose. You know, in came a new chief executive officer, wanted to kind of cement her place clearly in history. And so they made this decision to become the, uh, inclusive of the T, is what they mm. called it. And so uh, overnight, LGB went to LGBT. And Stonewall had so much influence, so many connections with the government and all the rest of it, yeah. that it's kind of filtered outwards from there, really. Mm. But it was done very kind of slowly but surely over a long period of time, mm. almost without anyone really realizing it. It's like that boiling frog, you know, analogy, yeah. um, you know, so they've kind of just ramped up the temperature slowly but surely to the point that now we've all woken up to it. And actually, in many ways, it's too late because the damage has already been done. I mean, I, I watched a, 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 a quite brilliant uh, lecture recently by James Lindsay you know, in, Amer in America. And I tend to sympathize with his view. He sees woke generally, or what's, what's called woke, um, as basically a form of Marxism. Essentially, it is, you know, uh, a development from Marxism, and that therefore things such as gender ideology um, are just a very, very good way in, maybe, just like critical race theory might be. Um, but these are all basically offshoots of a kind mm. of form of cultural Marxism, which is a a perfectly reasonable expression to use, although they're trying to demonize it now by saying it's anti-Semitic and all of that. It really is, is not. I, at least I never knew it was. Um, but essentially, that it is a form of Marxist attack in all institutions, and these are just simply elements of that attack. Does that sound to you plausible? I think it's, I think it's certainly plausible whether people have that at the forefront of their mind when they're kind of carrying out ritualistically, you know. No, you know, because they ideology. don't have to have it at yes. the front of their yeah. mind. They, they might not even know what we're talking about at the moment. It's just that it, it's a way in. It, it, all of this comes from the abolition of truth in a way, mm. you know, from postmodernism and, and Marxist thought, you know. And I, look, I don't even know whether it's necessarily been done in a kind of intentionally vindictive manner. I mean, I think a lot of people are reaching out for something to speak to them in this yeah. day and age. You know, there is, there's clearly a gap by the kind of fall of religion in many parts of the Western world. That, that's the other point I was going to ask, yeah. you know, that essentially this idea, I think Tim Stanley spoke about this in the Telegraph, there's this idea that somehow, you know, when people stop believing in God, they'll believe not in nothing, but in anything. You know. Yes. And, and I think it's symptomatic as well of, I've been saying this a bit recently, and I do hate using this term, but the privilege that we've got in the mm. West, because we have the free time on our hands. We've got the kind of secure foundations for us to spend all this time navel gazing, you know, mm. thinking about uh, what our you know, inner identities are, almost to the point of kind of narcissistic thinking. Mm. Um, which says a lot about the type of society we're living in. Whereas if you go to a third world country that's mm. poverty stricken or war torn, mm. they're not having debates over pronouns. No, no, you know, no, they've got more no, important no. things to be yes. thinking about. So in some ways, I think it's symptomatic of our kind of success in the Western world in many ways. And I think it's, I think it's very sad in that respect. Um, I think 
children in particular have kind of lost a lot of meaning. Um, you know, what have they got these days? They've kind of got their devices. Um, I think they're becoming more and more antisocial, you know, more and more cut off from others in many ways. You know, we saw that COVID lockdowns, etc., the damage that's done um, in terms of kind of causing anxieties and young people kind of going out and mixing with others. So they're turning to these kind of online communities, looking yeah. for validation, looking for meaning. It's not really surprising when you think about it. So there is a there is a, an element of social contagion about, or or just simple, you know, fashion. I mean, that mm. might be part of it with kids. Um, I just, when you look at this, this kind of obsession with androgyny, or the obsession mm. with changing, it does, you know, bring to mind, you know, I know it's an old example, but the Roman Empire where androgyny and sexual confusion became very much a part of the decline and when you look at statues from the kind of classical mm. uh, the zenith of the classical world these amazing you know david and all these um amazing statues and then as it declines they become you know more feminine they become you know less defined they become more androgynous and i was just wondering whether this again is part of a kind of Western decline narrative? Well, I think we're certainly losing the notion of, you know, what it means to be a man and mm. what it means to be a woman. Yes. And I think, you know, women do have a tough time in society. There's no doubt about that. You know, young girls um, in particular, the ways in which their bodies are changing, a lot of the kind of unwanted attention that they get, etc. Um, it's no surprise that, you know, a, a young girl might not want to be a girl actually mm. equally men are getting a hell of a tough time of it out there mm. you know um i think men are often being lumped into boxes basically kind of being i don't know passe you know to be a straight white man is considered yeah. an insult in this day and age i think a lot of men feel as if they're being accused of being a kind of you know pervert or a perpetrator of violence without having done anything at all yeah. um so i think you can also see why you know a young boy might not particularly want to wear that label either yeah. Yeah. and so yes there is this kind of desire to kind of be something else, be something more neutral in which you kind of can't come in for uh, attack in one form or another. I mean, I brought this book with me, which I yeah. have the shame of owning. It's called The, the Book of Non-Binary Joy. Oh, as in like the joy of sex or whatever, or? Uh, the, the joy of identifying <coughs> as, uh, as non-binary, um, you know, which again is this kind of term that's taken off because, you know, more and more younger people now, they're not identifying as trans male or trans female they're identifying as non-binary which could basically be anything well exactly it's, it's not even bisexual what we used to call bisexual is it no it's not it's basically that they feel that they're somewhere on a spectrum between male on one side and female on the other and this book is just what like a, just a, a commercial book it's not an academic book or what no it's a it's a commercial book by ben pesci who's a non-binary writer presenter and fashion icon self-acclaimed fashion icon right. you know it says on the back hello darling welcome to the book of non-binary joy uh take my hand and let's start your journey of self-love today so it's kind of caught up in this kind of self-healing type stuff but some of the things in it are, are, are really quite concerning yes, I do. and you know this stuff's been marketed to kind of young children i mean Firstly, it flies in the face of trying to understand concepts as humans. So it, it, Ben says, I, I was about to say he there, but he, he, he would tell me that I shouldn't be using the term he right, because right, he's non-binary. Right. Um, but Ben says to try and define non-binary is like trying to catch smoke with one's bare hands, impossible. So the message is 
don't even attempt to try and define yeah. what this means. Uh, it goes on to say, in trying to understand us, you have erased us. So th- there's this kind of hypocritical idea and this kind of double standard that you know, you should understand us and where we're coming from and what we're going through, but you can never understand us because you don't have our lived experience. But, I mean, this is total bullshit, but also isn't it sort of just just complete narcissism, isn't it? I mean, it's people trying to make themselves interesting, isn't it? Oh, completely. And, look, there's a, there's a healthy dose of uh, what I call sass in it. I mean, Ben says, if you're cisgender and offended by anything I've written, email someone who has time to waste. So that's basically a kind of F you to anyone yes, who takes issue. Yes, and aggressive too, yes. And then mentioning kind of narcissism, Ben says to his non-binary readers that it's time you put your needs above others. We owe it to ourselves to be selfish. Is that really the kind of morality that you want to instill in young people? Uh, He says, you deserve your pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. You've worked harder than many CEOs. For what? For for saying they're non-binary? Yes, it's extraordinary. And that basically just, you know, is written... So presumably more for young people than not, really, isn't it? I mean, if you're talking about people on their journey and all of this. Oh, definitely. Well, you can see the way it's marketed. Yeah. And I mean, it's full of little kind of diagrams and cartoons and all the rest of it. But again, you know, on what basis is this individual writing this book? I mean, he makes a point at the beginning of the book, yeah. almost proudly saying, I failed biology A level. My knowledge of human biology is shaky at best. Well, that's certainly true. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's really quite concerning anyway. Yeah, so yeah. this is on my bookshelf to people's surprise. I mean, yes, I know it is, it, uh, it is uh, extraordinary, but there is obviously, you know, uh, th- that is kind of depressing that that kind of thing gets published, actually. But anyway, there's a far, far more serious mm. side to all of this, isn't there, in the sense that it's the sheer permanence of the change that people go through when they go through this kind of surgery. And increasingly you see like on Twitter, which you're all very active on, I know, so am I, uh, and, and social media, these pictures of girls, for example, you know, proudly showing off their mastectomies and everything. I mean, it just, it requires you to actually just forget about your normal, what you would consider a normal outlook. Not. You, you, any scars, one wouldn't want to show them off, you know what I mean? It's this, mm. it's this kind of pride element. Um, and these terrible mutilations. There's somebody, in fact, that you've talked about a fair amount on your, on your social media, which is someone you call the Butcher of Luth, is that right? Louth, yeah, Lithe. that's a place in Ireland, yeah. Oh, is it? Right. Can you tell us mm. about who this, who this is? Her name's Dr. Sive Gallagher. She's a surgeon, plastic surgeon. Uh, trained in Ireland and now practicing out of Miami in the States and she specializes in performing what she calls uh, gender affirming surgery. Um, So to put it bluntly she's cutting off women's breasts, Mm. she's cutting off men's penises and testicles, she's giving women prosthetic penises, she kind of does the whole lot really Mm. um, for a hefty sum don't think her procedures come cheaper than $10,000. Uh, and the way it's been marketed and pushed on social media, again, to young people, it's like very glitz and mm. glamour. I mean, she'll kind of have videos uh, on TikTok and Instagram showing kind of before and after of surgery. 
um, with the kind of Miami background and kind of funky music going on, all the rest of it, really trying to appeal again to a certain type of audience, making it seem almost cool to kind mm. of go and do this, mm. posing with her patients post-op, you know, yeah. with the double mastectomy scars, yeah. all smiles. Um, everything she seems to do kind of flies completely in the face of safeguarding. Um, I mean, she makes a point of saying that she's also inclusive of people who are obese because generally surgery is not advised for people who are uh, clinically obese because there's you know significant risks to their life if they undergo yes, yes. surgery and, and go into general anaesthetic. Well, she says actually in an aim to be uh, inclusive of obese people, she's happy to provide um, yeah. surgery to people yeah. Yeah. who other doctors would deem too dangerous to do yeah. it. So yeah. um, she's offering... I mean, it... It, it, it sounds like a kind of a weird catalogue. It's almost like a pick and mix of yeah. surgeries. She, and she offers, for example, to uh, for more non-binary bodies, she says, well, if you don't want nipples when I remove your breasts, we can just, you don't have to have nipples, or I can put the nipples in a different place to where they normally go. Uh, it's like, it's basically, I will create for you whatever body you want that matches up to your self-identity. Yeah. I mean... This is truly, well, it's disgusting, isn't it? I mean, what she's doing. Um, are there no complaints about her? I mean, how can this be just allowed to, to pass? I mean, if you say something like, uh, you know, that, oh, well, I, I might, you know, I'll, do, uh, I'll operate on you even if you're obese. I mean, that surely is going against some medical rules. No, de definitely. And again, with kind of almost pride, she said that she's performed double mastectomies on girls as young as 13, um, which is you know, particularly mm. abhorrent. But she seems to be able to kind of get away with this. I know there is a complaint uh, over in the States against her, but nothing seems to have mm. come of it. Mm. Um, you know, thankfully, that type of practice isn't taking place in the UK, mm. Mm. but in some ways it's only a matter of time. I mean, the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, who the NHS and other private clinics in the UK have often followed their guidance, they suggested last year removing any minimum age for surgery, mm. which means that you could, under their um, guidance of girls as young as 12, 13, mm. having their breasts mm. removed. Mm. Um, so it could very well be a slippery slope, but it's you know, and this isn't just plastic surgery. This, this isn't just, um, you know, and actually from a therapeutic perspective, I think we need to instill more confidence in people many, in many ways to kind of accept the body that they've been given and to try and, you know, become comfortable in who they are. But this is different to just, um, you know, I, I don't like the shape of my nose, so I'm going to change the yeah, shape of it. This yeah. is removing entire parts of someone's body. I mean, completely removing their genitals, for example. Or, or double mastectomies, you know, think about the women out there who've had their breasts forcibly removed because they've had breast cancer, they had no choice. Mm. They would have lost their lives if they mm. didn't go under the knife. But now these young women are basically saying, uh, don't fancy my breasts, don't like them, they don't feel a part of me, so I just want them chopped off. Mm. It's such disregard for the kind of human body. But the sheer, as you say, inconsistency in approach. I mean, you know, mm. the trauma of having a mastectomy is always... Absolutely accepted, and in fact, you know, you have, you know, counselling and treatment because for what it would mean, and it's a huge thing. Suddenly, it becomes a sort of celebration. So that's, you know, there's none, no need for any of that. Um, it's just, it's just quite extraordinary the kind of turnaround. Um, where do you see this going, James? I mean, I keep asking you, sort of, you know, to speculate, but <laughs> where, you know, I hate. 
using terms like tipping points and things like that. But you know, the, particularly when it comes to trans, the, the amount of times we, you know, we've sort of like gone along this road and said, oh, well, this will finally be, oh, well, this will be, make people realise, this will finally change. And it doesn't seem to. Um, and I just wonder whether it's just down to people not knowing enough still about mm. the issues involved. It's also so difficult to wind back the clock when this has kind of infiltrated all areas of our society. So I think it's difficult now to kind of have a simplistic fix to it. Mm. And I think we are having to deal with things in silos. You know, in the world of sport, we're seeing progress. Yes. More and more yeah. sporting bodies are kind of saying, mm. no, you know, if you're a man, you can only compete against mm. other men. But not all sporting bodies are doing that. Um, education, we're waiting for this guidance to come out. The NHS, well, they said recently, which was quite favourable, that they're planning on banning puberty blockers outside of the context of clinical trials. But again, many, including myself, don't think that goes far enough. The Conservative Party seemed to be trying to kind of get a handle on this. You know, Rishi's come out and said some favourable things. But then at the same time, they're still planning on banning conversion therapy, which I think will risk criminalising, you know, ethical therapists yeah. who are trying to treat these issues. There's so much good and bad going on at the same time. Um, I could just have to hope that things continue to go in the right direction. I am very worried about the next general election because if any party except the Conservatives get in, or that has a chance of getting in, mm -hmm. I really do fear for what's going to happen. I think we could go all the way backwards again. You know, Starmer said he's not going to introduce self-ID, but there's many in his cabinet who would very much like to do so, and they wield a lot of power. So I, I, I am worried about what's coming down the tracks. And I'm worried about what happens when the children of today, the ones who've been force-fed this ideology at school and university, when they become the leaders of tomorrow. Yeah. Are we going to just regress all the way back again and lose yeah. the progress we've made? Well, that is actually the whole problem, isn't it? Because also, because people generally, they get a little bit more conservative over time, right, in their views. This is not happening anymore. They're staying kind of left. Yeah. Um, and so basically, each generation after that will be, you know, obviously being brought up in that, in that situation. Where does this leave you personally, actually? And so you're, you, you are co-founder of Thoughtful Therapists. Um, I know that therapies, as an industry, if you can want to call it that, has been hugely affected by such things as gender ideology, hasn't it, and critical race theory, to the point where it's undermining the whole thing. Mm. I mean. Do you practice in, in any way? Uh, I, I can't really at the moment. I mean, I was effectively, you know, excommunicated. Yes, course, yes. Um, so I'm, I'm still waiting for my own litigation to come. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm suing one of the main therapy regulatory bodies in the okay. UK and my former place of study on the grounds of discrimination. And I need to wait and see what happens at the end of that. I would like to be able to practice at some point, but it's by no means a guarantee because the powers that be in the therapy world sending out a very clear message yeah. that if you don't get on board with our ideology, you're basically not welcome here. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm very fearful for this profession. I'm very fearful in particular for the clients that are being served by this profession. I think we're doing huge damage to people's mental well-being by a profession that's meant to be helping people's mental well-being. Well, it's almost like taking away uh, a safety net as well from people. You know, If you know that you're going to get a political kind of ideology coming through at you rather than confidential help with what your problem, you know, your problems. Uh, I think it's a, it's, it's a huge worry, as you say. Mm. Um, anyway, great for the work you do in highlighting all of this, James, and um, carry on doing that, won't you please? Um, and we might see something coming up 
between now and the general election, you know, some possible course of action that you uh, suggest or whatever? Definitely watch this space. And watch yes, I'm, space. I'm not going anywhere. They won't get me to shut up. Right. So. Well, thanks very much indeed for Pleasure. that, James. Thanks. Uh, James Essis there. Um, we shall see you next week. So uh, see you then. Bye. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you. Thank you.